Good morning. How you doing? Go ahead and slap somebody a high five and let them know I am so glad you are here. All right, so some of you, you're not glad to see that other person. Fake it till you make it. How's that? Well, good morning once again. For those of you that don't know me, I am Pastor Jose. I'm the lead pastor here. And it is truly a pleasure to have you here. Today, I want to just share some things from God's Word, the Bible, as some of us would refer to. But I want you not simply to hear this as a preaching. I want you to consider the truth that God's Word reveals. I want you to really think about what God's Word is saying. Today, we're going to be wrapping up a series that we've been on over the last several weeks. And what we've been talking about is love, specifically what love does, what love does. And we learned over the last several weeks a couple of things. Uh, Hey, I want to encourage you, go ahead and download our app, listen on our website, check out the podcast. Uh, We've learned uh, several things, and I don't have time to really dig into it that way, but I just want to kind of quickly recap. We learned that love is a person, that love is not an emotion, that love is not a feeling. How many of you know that your experiences with people and quote-unquote love will always disappoint you? Husbands, wives, how many of us know that? friendships. Listen, if we place our confidence in receiving and having an experience with love with people, what we'll always end up concluding is that love fails. And the scriptures teach us that God is love. And so when we understand that love is a person, we begin to approach life, relationships, and the experience of love differently. So love is a person. We learned that love is a choice. We were looking at 1 Corinthians 13, and what we saw is in the scriptures it talks about how love is patient and love is kind and love holds no record of wrongs. How many of you know that you have to choose to be patient? You have to choose to be kind. When someone is acting sideways and you have to compose yourself and you have to make a choice, a mature choice to extend kindness in the midst of what they're throwing at you, it's a choice. And so we learn that love is a choice. We learn that love makes a way that it, it, it opens up a path for us where we experience God's blessing and it changes our lives. We learn that love turns the world upside down, that love is not like what the world teaches us. In this world, love is I do for you so that you can do for me. If you love me, then I will love you. How many of you know that that's not love? That's a business transaction. That's pay for play. That, that doesn't work. And last week, we learned that love must be the center of our relationships. And what we were looking at in light of the fact that love is a person, what we learned is that unless we keep God at the center of our lives, unless our seeking of love is not derived from God, we will always fall short in the experience of love. And so God has to be at the center. And today... I want to wrap up our series by talking to you a little bit more about love, but specifically about when love is greater, when love is greater. And so as we've learned, love is powerful, but there is no stronger evidence of love than when we give it the permission to quench our fears. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. Let's consider what the scriptures declare in 1 John chapter 4, verses 16 through 19. starts off by saying, we, we know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love. Say that with me. God is love. Now watch this. And all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. That word perfect there simply means complete. And so it goes on to say, so we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. Notice that the author, the writer of this, of these verses who was inspired by God to convey this truth from God starts off by telling us what love is, that love is a person. And, and as he's talking to us about love as a person, and then he begins to uh, flesh out for us that love brings us to completeness, watch what the result is supposed to be. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. But we can face him, God, with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has 
no fear. Because perfect love, complete love, a complete experience with love, a revelation of love as a person. Because perfect love expels, listen to these two words, all fear. All fear. Not some fear. All fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. So let me start off with a question here this morning for you to consider. What's the opposite of love? What's the opposite of love? Many of us, like you did, would say hate. But according to the scriptures, we, something, we see something completely different. That the opposite of love is not necessarily hate. It's fear. It's fear. And with that thought in mind, according to the scriptures, I'd like you to consider that the one thing that stops, one of the main things that stops in direct opposition of the power of God's love working in and through our lives is fear. It restricts us. It constrains us. It boxes us in. Think about this. Anybody ever experienced fear? Okay, for the five of you that have, the rest of you, you got it all together. Um, You can apply for the position. It's yours. You have arrived. Thank God. No, seriously. Every one of us has confronted fear in some capacity. We've experienced it to some extent. And I can guarantee you that it's in the moments of fear where we find ourselves feeling most constrained, limited, not seeing all the options, not, not, not uh, putting our trust in God. And so some important things that we see from these verses here in 1 John chapter 4 is this, that God's love is greater than our fears. God's love is greater than our fears. We see that only God's love can expel all fears. Only God's love can expel all fears. Now, I know we've been taught some breathing techniques. I know we've been taught to, uh, you know, just think positively. But the scriptures tell us that it is a confidence in God's love a direct relationship and revelation of God's love for you and how that translates into your everyday life. It is that love that expels fear. We learn that fear leads to punishment. You should be questioning, what does that mean? We're going to talk about that in a second. And we learn that love leads to confidence in God. So that phrase, fear of punishment, it literally refers to... So something that brings us uh, to a place of expectation of penalty or punishment. It's It's an anticipation. It's like I know that this is going to turn out bad for me directly as a result of what I have done. Did I ever tell you the story? This wasn't planned, so I'm off script already. Um, Did I ever tell you the story about my first experience driving a car? For some of you, I have. 12 years old, I drove my first car. I convinced my brother-in-law, who was 19 at the time, that I could drive. And the fool believed it. Well, needless to say, I destroyed that Volvo. Destroyed it. I ran. It was in Washington Heights in Manhattan. I backed the car in to an oak tree in Washington Heights, right? And, uh, and then we walked out the car and I said, man, what are you going to do? <laughs> he says, I'm going to tell your mother. And I swore I was dead. It was that kind of fear. You see, when Rosa Etelvina Garcia came for you, you were dead. And then she would resurrect you afterwards. Well, it was that type of fear that was at work in my heart. The thing about it is that when I got home, I learned otherwise. He wakes my mother up at 7 o'clock in the morning. You have to pay me this amount of money. Your son crashed my friend's car, and I told him, and he said he could drive. And she said, did I 
tell you you could take my 12-year-old son to go drive a car with you? And I said, oh, this is different. (laughs) Oh, wait, I've never seen this side of mom. And she closed the door and went back to sleep. And I was off the hook. Anyway, let's get back to the text here. It's a fear that anticipates the worst at the expense of neglecting what's true and best for us. Let me give you my definition of fear. A misplacement of faith. Or placing faith in the wrong things instead of the right one. See, fear is faith backwards. If fear is the opposite of the love of God, then faith is the opposite of trust in God. And many times what we do in the face of fears, in in the face of those things that seize upon our hearts, is we begin to put more trust in people, in circumstances, in situations, in stories that we begin to unravel in our own minds at the expense of the truth and the life story that God has penned through his word for our lives. And so we begin to disregard God, and we begin to put more trust in the circumstances. That makes sense? See, fear has been around since the beginning of time. It's something we have all felt. It's something we have all faced. It's something that we all know by experience. But in spite of all that, Before I make this statement, say this with me. I love Pastor Jose. Now, remember you said that because I'm about to share something with you that might challenge what you believe about fear. I'm about to share something with you, and I'm I'm not giving you my opinion. I'm just going to point you back to the Word. My opinion does not matter here. What matters here is what the Word of God says. So not my opinion. But remember you said... Let's say this again. I love Pastor Jose. All right. So you said it. So you can receive it. Listen, in spite of all that, we have to come to the realization that fear is not normal. Now, I know what you're thinking because I just heard you say it. I just heard somebody shout it from over there. I'm never coming to this church again. Lies. Listen, I didn't say that you're not normal because you experience fear. But I want us to consider what the scriptures declare. That where God's love has residence, fear is expelled. Fear cannot have a home in your heart when the love of God has seized upon your heart. Now, I get it for some of us, we're going, but wait, 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 whoa, 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 wait. This does not make sense. I don't get this. Well, I'm glad that you asked because we're going to dig into the word. So the first time that we see fear at work in the hearts of men came as a direct result of man's belief that God was not near. In Genesis chapter 2, we're going to be turning to verse 25, so you can put that up, but let me just give you some context here. What we find is the story of how God created all things, all creation, and at, every, at the end of every day, God looks upon what he created, and he says, it's good. It's good, and on the sixth day, he creates man, and the Bible then says that after he created man, he looked at everything he created, including mankind, and he says this, it is very good. And so the scriptures show, reveal that God was in perfect and complete relationship with mankind, and mankind thus was in like manner in relationship with God, completely, perfectly. In other words, there was no room for fear because all was good with God. There was confidence in God. I want you to think about what we just read in 1 John chapter 4. What we read is that where the love of God is, that there is no room for fear, but why? Because we have confidence that in the day of judgment, we're good with God. We have confidence in God's presence. We have confidence in God's love. We have confidence in God's promises. And so Genesis 2.25 
sums it up this way. It says, Adam and his wife were both naked. And it says, and they felt no shame. That word shame there is very important. Because literally what it refers to in the Hebrew language is it depicts one who's shying away from by reason of terror. In other words, I'm keeping my distance because I'm afraid. And what we see is that in the beginning of time, mankind, that wasn't the situation for them. There was no shame. There was no need to be afraid of God. Man was not afraid because God's love addressed all those fears. But if you know anything about the Bible, maybe you haven't heard, mankind fell for a lie. Satan shows up and says, hey, did God really say that you shouldn't go and eat from that tree of good and evil? Did God really say so? A question came into mind in relation to what God had declared in relation to God's love. And they fell for the trick. And so sin enters the world. And when Adam and Eve fell for the lie, things changed. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 10 says this, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called out to them, to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, listen closely, and I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid. Get this, they actually believed that they could hide from God. Their fear was so great that their inclination was to run from God. See, that's how fear works, ladies and gentlemen. The very first thing that it addresses in our heart is it brings God's faithfulness into question. Fear does that. It brings God's faithfulness into question. And so while Adam and Eve disregarded God's command and now lived in sin, that did not stop God from loving them. You know, I used to think when I was a kid, because the scriptures do say that God expelled them from the garden, right? That he put up, you know, some flaming situation, right? And kept them from entering into the garden. But that was love at work because, you see, if they were able to go back to that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, there there was another tree there called the tree of life, which guaranteed eternity. And from what I see in Scripture, just from my own personal study, had man gone back in their original state of sin after they fell and eating from that tree of life, they would have eternally remained in sin. So God protected them. Anyway, that was just a Bible fun fact. You know, just something to think about. But anyway, let's get back to this text. Listen, so they fall and God, instead of running from them, God runs to them. See, fear stops us from running to God while God's love compels him to run to us. Notice that God continued to seek man. We, on the other hand, bought a lie and somehow believed that we were no longer worthy to have relationship with God. Fear will bring into question relationship with God. And so the Bible records a time in the lives of the people of Israel when they were heading into this land of blessing. Everything was good. Listen, God had literally overcome their enemies. Listen, at this point, they were heading into what the Scriptures declare was a land of promise. The Scriptures declare that God said to them, listen, it's a land that flows with milk and honey. You don't have to break a sweat there. Everything's provided. Wait till you see how grand the the fruits are and the vegetation. And so at this point, the people of Israel had plenty of reason to trust God to seek God and to go where God was taking them. Why? 
if you read the scriptures, what you'll find is that right before they get to this point, God completely destroyed their enemies. They're on the run from Egypt, and the Egyptian uh, Pharaoh and all his mighty armies are behind the people of Israel, and they're running, and they're getting to a point where, where their travel is at a dead end. There's what's called the Red Sea before them, and the enemies are behind them, and they go, oh my God, what are we going to do? And God says, I'm so glad you asked. Watch me work. And Moses extends his hand, the Red Sea parts, the dry grounds, and they begin to cross. And as they're crossing, God brings confusion upon their enemies. They begin to uh, get all scattered and confused, and God is leading them, the Bible says, during this journey with a cloud that covered them by day and by night with a pillar of fire that kept them warm so they could keep moving. And so God did some amazing things amongst them, completely obliterated their enemies. And here they are now about to enter into the promised land. And they have every reason to trust God that it's all good no matter what they see. But as we'll find according to the story, according to what the scriptures reveal, the thing that stopped them, many of them, was their fear. It was their fear. And so God tells Moses after they've gone through all this great journey and they've experienced all these miracles, he says to them, choose 12 leaders from among you. Choose 12 men, the leaders of all the 12 tribes, and hey, I want you to send them to this land called Canaan. And when they get there, I want them to go and see what I promised. And I want them to bring back a report. And so Moses does that. And when they get there, they see something different than what God had promised. Let's turn to the scriptures and look at Numbers 13, verses 25 through 29. We'll start there and then we'll continue on. It says, after exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. So get this picture. They returned back, and all the people of Israel, which at that time, it's theorized, numbered over 2 million people, they all gathered together to hear this report of what God said, to see if it's true. And the scriptures say in verse 26 that they reported to the whole community what they had seen and shown them the fruit that they had taken from the land. Go ahead and tell somebody, get grapes. Somebody get grapes. Get grapes. Get some grapes. Go ahead and tell somebody, get grapes. I know you were wondering the whole time, what's with the grapes? Go ahead and tell somebody, get some grapes. Listen, he says, go to the land and bring back some grapes. Bring back some of what's going on. You're saying, well, where'd you, where'd you get that? You'll see in a second. So we were at verse 26, right? And it says, and this was the report to Moses in verse 27. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's the kind of fruit it produces. Here's the kind of fruit it produces. Oh, I'm so sorry, my dear. That was, she, she missed that part of the sermon. She was supposed to be prepared for that. So watch this. So up until this point, everything that God said is true. Great report. And then things begin to go sour. Verse 28. But the people living there are powerful. And their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there. The descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea along the Jordan Valley. Hmm. 
And so watch what happens here. They just saw that what God said is true. This isn't keto approved, but today I break my, my, <laughs> my diet. And my wife is watching me. She's going, what are you doing? It's for the sake of the gospel. <laughs> Go ahead and tell somebody, get grapes. Tell somebody else, get grapes. Go ahead and tell somebody else, get grapes. Listen, everything is good up until this point. And then something happens. Somebody says, but. These guys were on the path to good things, but somehow they could not see where God was leading them and what he had promised. They bore witness to the land that flows with milk and honey. They have all the evidence they need, God said, and it's true. They're carrying these huge grapes because it was the harvest time. And somehow, these people appeared bigger than God. Listen, fear is greater in our lives when God isn't. Let me say that again. Fear is greater in our lives when God isn't. These people experienced nothing but victory in their lives until their faith in people replaced their faith in God. They had more faith in their enemies than they did in God. Now, lest we judge them, let's make this personal. You ever been there? Where faith in problems... Faith in finances, faith in people, faith in relationships, faith in politics, faith in the news, faith in the radio, faith in what you see posted and is trending. When all those things, faith in those things begin to replace faith in God. If you've ever found yourself in a a place where you become seized with fear and you go, oh my God, how's this going to work? Let me just remind you of something. You got a wrong word in the midst of that question. Because you're asking how instead of who. God, you're you're God. And you're in the midst of my life and I trust you. You get my point here? And so love is greater when you believe God is bigger. Check this out. Psalm 34 verses 2 through 4 says this. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. That word soul there refers to our mind. Our means of processing information. What we begin to visualize. And so it says my soul shall make its boast in the Lord. In other words, man... I'm going, if I'm going to put confidence in anything, if I'm going to brag about anything, here's what the scripture is saying. It's in God. The humble shall fear, shall hear of it, and be glad. Now watch this. It says, oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. He says, I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. So here's what we see, that when we enlarge our view of God, when we begin to exalt God instead of the circumstances, what we see is big results. Listen, the bigger God is in your view, the bigger your results will be. And so enlarge your view of God. Get yourself some grapes. I'm telling you, I will never see grapes the same again. Because while Joshua, get some grapes, Steve. While Joshua and Caleb and these other ten uh, tribal leaders who remain unnamed 
probably for a reason. While they're traveling, they're thinking, listen, they just saw everything that God said, and they're going, oh, man, those people were big. And Joshua and Caleb are going, man, look how big those grapes are. And it's just the beginning of the harvest season. Can you imagine what it's going to be when we get there? Go ahead and tell somebody, get some grapes. Get some grapes. Get some grapes. Listen, they're traveling back, and Joshua and Caleb are amongst these other ten guys. And they're focusing on these large grapes. And they're saying, man, God brought us from Egypt. God delivered us mightily from our enemies. And here we are now returning to tell all the people. They're anticipating that everybody's going to be excited. And these other ten guys, as they're walking, they're putting more faith in their enemies. And in the process, God appears small. Numbers 13, verses 30 and 31 says, But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once and take the land. Caleb says, let's go right now. I know we've been gone 40 days, but let's go back right now. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. Listen to what they said. We can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. Do you realize what just happened there? God told them, go to this land that I've promised you. That I am giving to you. The same God who parted the Red Sea. The same God who provided manna and quail and kept them warm by night and protected them from the sun by day. The same God that said, I've got great plans for you. I have chosen you. That same God told them, go to this land. And here's their response. The people there are greater than my God. But you see, among these men were two who were of a different mindset. They were Joshua and Caleb. They were just as strong as these other men. Had seen God do the same things that these other leaders saw. But they believed differently. The naysayers were so frantic in their thoughts that God wasn't even a factor in their hearts. See what fear does? The fear factor takes place of the God factor. It replaces God. Fear will do that to you. They begin to rationalize why they're not qualified and what the task ahead looked like. On the other hand, Joshua and Caleb spent the journey thinking about everything that God said and they saw. Get and tell somebody, get grapes. Tell somebody, get grapes. And so listen, here's, here's where we begin to kind of dig in a little bit more. The whole time they're thinking and they're thinking about what they just saw. And here's the thing, that thinking will not overcome fear, but belief in God will. They're thinking about what they saw and how big these people are. You know, if we're not careful, we do the same thing. We rationalize God. We think about, well, God, how's this one going to work? Don't let the pastor try to fool you. I've been there myself. God, this looks too big. As if somehow the little situation that we're facing is going to dim the lights in heaven. Like the power is going to go out. And so, listen, thinking will not overcome fear. My point with that is many times we try to rationalize, God, how are you going to do it? In other words, God, make sure that this fits in my little brain somehow. And that kind of thinking process... It doesn't overcome fear. Oh, I get what therapy says. I get what people say. I'm not saying that there isn't a place for that, but what I am saying is that the word of God is truth. 
and the word of God does not fail. And if you receive the word from God, if you've received instruction from God, if you sense God leading you by his word and his Holy Spirit is pressing upon you and leading you somewhere, forget the questions. Don't think about it. Just go. I like how Caleb said, let's go right now. Got to tell somebody, get some grapes. Get some grapes. Get some grapes. Somebody wants all the promises. Get some grapes. Numbers 13, verses 32 through chapter 14, verse 3 says, And so they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we travel through and explore will devour anyone who goes to live there. They were so afraid and yet unconscious of God at the same time that in their thinking, the land ate people. Like the trees went. <laughs> it said the land we traveled through and explored will, de- will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. Watch this. And that's what they thought too. Then the whole community began weeping aloud. And they all, they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt. Listen to what these people are wishing. I'd rather die than go there. Let's go back to Egypt. At least we can die there. So it says, if only we had died in Egypt and even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to just return to Egypt? Wouldn't it just be better for us to just go back to that dead and stinking place that we left that was no good at one time? You know what's interesting about fear? It makes the worse seem good. It gives the appearance as if it's something good. See, what's interesting here is that these people believe they're grasshoppers. And here's what they also believe. Everyone else thinks we're grasshoppers too. See, fear is a matter of mistaken identity. Fear is a matter of mistaken identity. Fear will bring into question who God says you are. Do you know what the scriptures say about you? The scriptures say that you, somebody say me. me. Some, tell somebody else, me. me. Go ahead and point to somebody else, me. me. Listen, the scriptures say that you can do all things through Christ who is your strength. The scriptures say that the life that you now live is not your own. It's the life of Christ. You know what the scriptures literally say? You, don't know, you no longer have to live your way. You can trust God and get his results. You can live like Christ. The scriptures say that as he is, so are you in this world. The scriptures say that you are the healed of the Lord. The scriptures say that you are the head and not the tail. That you are above only, that you're never beneath. That you're blessed coming in and blessed going out. That you're blessed in the city, blessed in the country. That you are completely all that God has called you to be. That you're chosen, that you're holy, that you're above reproach. That God loves you. That nothing, 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 absolutely nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. That's what God says. That's your identity. That's who you are. See, fear is a matter of mistaken identity, but love is the matter that makes up our identity. When you know how much you mean to God. 
The scriptures declare that you are his masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Watch what God says about you. There's only one destination point for you. There's only one purpose for your life, and it's all good. That's your identity. When we understand the value that we carry, that we possess, who you are, let me tell you, you can speak, you can respond to troubles like Paul did. I love a portion of scripture. I may have said this at one point here, but Paul has just been shipwrecked. He's gone through all these things. He's been, uh, uh, he's, he's been hunted down. He's been beaten. He's been flogged. Uh, he's been threatened and, uh, to death. He's been left for dead. All these things. And Paul says, and yet in these light afflictions. He says, that's light work. Got to tell somebody, get some grapes. Got to tell somebody, get some grapes. Got to tell somebody, get some grapes. Get some grapes. Begin to focus on the word of God. Begin to focus on his promises. Got to tell somebody, get some grapes. Get some grapes. Listen. When these men left, after God told them, go to this land, Canaan. And what you're going to see there is a land that flows with milk and honey. When they leave for this 40-day journey to see God's land of promise, the scriptures tell us that they were leaders, that they were chosen. They were free. They were winners. They were loved. They were God's people. They were delivered. They were people of experience with God. But when they came back, the majority of them believed they were grasshoppers. See, fear robs you of your true identity. And we cannot allow fear to become the sum of who we are. But my diagnosis tells me this. Can I tell you something about the experts? The experts operate according to their limited study and experience. But the scriptures declare that God's word endures forever. The experts may be experts in their limited information, but the experts can be wrong. Listen, God's word is true, and here's what the scriptures say. Let every man be a liar. See, fear is a lie. Fear is a lie. You know how I like to think about fear? Maybe you've heard this. Act like you didn't. Act like you've never heard it go, ooh, ah, no, let me stop. You know what fear is? Fear is simply false evidence appearing real. That's all it is. It's false evidence that appears real. It's a lie. Watch what 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7 says about you. For God has not given us, go ahead and tell somebody, he's talking about me. Tell somebody else, they're talking about me. Tell somebody else, that's God talking about me. Listen, for God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Listen to this. There are some people that take this portion of Scripture, and here's what they teach, that fear is a spirit. That's not what the Scripture says. What the Scripture is talking about is our identity, and here's what it says. When God created you anew, how many of you know that the Scripture says, if any man be in Christ, he is now a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So the scripture reveals that in Christ, everything about you is brand new. It's new. And here's what the scripture is revealing about that new you and I. About the new you. He says, I didn't create you with fear as a part of your makeup. That's not what I placed in your spirit. It's not what I've placed in you. That's not part of your DNA, your divine nature of the Almighty. But instead, here's what is a part of your makeup. Power. Love. Complete love. And watch this. A sound mind. That refers to our ability to discipline and curb our thinking. According to God's word. 
And so when God made you, fear was not one of the ingredients. But because he loved you, he made you with power and love and the ability to control your own mind, to, to dominate it. The Bible tells us that as a result of their fears, these men not only lost their identity in their own perspective, but watch this, they lost their way. And they never made it into God's land of promise. Can I say something to you here as we're closing up? God's taking you somewhere. Get some grapes, brother. That's what I'm talking about. Get some grapes. Get some grapes. Hey, listen, if you want some grapes, come get some. I mean that. There's no interruption here. Get some grapes. going to tell somebody, get some grapes. Well, how come none of you came up to get some grapes? Listen, the scriptures tell us, all right, now, we'll get you some grapes afterwards. <laughs> Go ahead. You can pass that around, man. Go ahead. Listen. The Bible tells us a lot about God's love. One of our weeks, we learned that it is by God's love that we are established in the faith, that we grow roots, that we grow, that we mature, that we find stability and peace for our lives. And if there's anything that I want you to leave here with is simply this. Two things. Number one, God loves you. God loves you. And it is by his love for you that he addresses every single thing that will bring his presence in your life. He'll address that thing that brings him into question. Can I say this to you? With all confidence in God's word, you can live and rise above fear. Because greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. There's a greater one within you. A greater one within you at work in your life. And he's placed his presence, his identity in yours. Made up of power and of love. And the ability to take dominion of our own thoughts. What we see here as we close out is that these two guys, Joshua and Caleb, 40 years later, they end up stepping into the promised land. And as they step in there, Caleb is 80 years old. This is a very personal portion of scripture to me because God is doing some amazing things here amongst us. And he's taking us to new places. But listen, Caleb is 80 years old. And when everybody else is thinking about retirement, Caleb says, man, I'm 80 and I'm just as strong as I was when I was 40 when God showed me these mountains. He says, give me my mountain. I'm taking it. Listen, let God's love be greater than fear. And you too will take your mountains. You too will rise above the circumstances. Jesus said that his peace he gave us. His peace he's left us. And he doesn't give like the world does. You know, it's one thing you can bank on. God's not taking back what he's declared about you. God's not turning his back on the plan that he has for you. Now, we might put faith in fear. But God says, baby, let me just show you Something better. Let me show you something better. Let's stand here today. Father, today we come to you in the precious and mighty name of Jesus. Lord, this morning, in the hearing of your word, Lord, we bear witness to the truth of your word. Come on, now there are some of you today that you've lived in fear. But today, faith is teaching you something different. For some of us here today, we've bought into the lie that we are afraid, that somehow we're alone, that somehow we can't. And today what you've heard completely contradicts that lie. The truth has exposed it. And today you realize, God, you love me and it is by your love, your power, the identity that you've given me in Christ that I can rise again.
Lord, today we acknowledge the truth of your word. We believe it. Come on, if you believe that, say, Lord, I believe in you. And fear has no place in me. Father, I thank you for the good work that you have started and you alone shall complete in the lives of these, your people. Lord, today we are strengthened in the inner man, Lord. There's a building, there's a growing that's taking place right now. There's a firm, there's, there's a firm foundation that is established in our confidence in you, Father. And Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your love, Lord. If there's anyone here today, and hey, maybe this is your first time ever walking into a church. Maybe you were invited. Maybe you know of Jesus, but it's never been personal. And today you see things differently. You say, whoa, you mean to tell me that God loved me before I could ever love him? You mean to tell me that God was convinced about me before I was ever convinced or heard of him? You mean to tell me that God loves me so much that while I was still in error, while I was still doing my own thing, he loves me there and meets me there and lifts me from there? You mean to tell me that God's not asking me to change me, to improve upon the old me, but instead he wants to do the work in me and through me? You mean to tell me that God can change my life, change my circumstances, that God can lift up my broken marriage, that God can heal my broken relationships, that God can change everything that I've known and he reveals a new truth to me? You mean to tell me that that's God? And if today that's where you are, let me tell you, you are in a perfect place. Because what you completely are receiving and understand now is the completeness of God's love for you and in you. If you believe that today, I want to invite you to join us in a prayer of faith. Not going to ask you to come up here. Not going to ask you to put your hands. Not going to ask you to shimmy. None of that. This is between you and God. With every eye closed here, make this personal. If you believe that, then we want to pray this with you. Say this with us, congregation. Let's pray this together. Say, Jesus, I believe. You are the Son of God. I believe that you love me. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you paid the price that was mine to pay. And today you've forgiven me forevermore. Today I declare you're my Lord and Savior. You're my God. And from this day forward, I'm following you. I'm trusting you. And I'm living life with confidence in your love for me. Come on now, if you prayed that for the very first time, we celebrate what God is doing in your life. We thank God for the good purposes that he has for you. Don't leave here without telling us about your decision. We're excited and we want to walk alongside you. Now, Father, we leave here assured of your love with confidence. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you again next Sunday.